0: We are uh, wrapping up a series today called Portraits of God out of the book of Isaiah, and you may wonder, hey, on Easter Sunday, uh, what in the world would a man who wrote eight centuries before Jesus have anything to say about Easter? Well, you're going to have to wait and see as we look at Isaiah chapter 55, the God who gives life with invitation and promise. Isaiah chapter 55, let me read to you. Verses 1 and 2, to begin with, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food." So my name is Tim, uh, and if you're a guest here this morning, we've never had the opportunity to meet. Um, If you'd been around here at all, you'd know part of my uh, life story is that I raised three girls, had no sons, and was really excited when we started to have some sons come into the family via marriage, so to have some son-in-laws. And, you know, I've been thinking about this for, like, decades, and uh, I thought it'd be great to start a tradition with my son-in-laws as they appear on the scene. And of course, it'd be great if it had something to do with food, because every guy loves food, and in particular, rich food. So back up a little bit before uh, I even had one son-in-law, a friend of mine uh, spoiled me and my daughters and sent us to a uh, a rich A rich buffet in Vancouver at the Fairmont Pacific Rim and it's a it's a high-end breakfast buffet it's not something I would normally afford especially when you pay for more than just yourself and uh, but everything was covered and wow was it amazing and I thought you know this would be a great tradition to do with my son-in-laws when they arrive and you know we wouldn't do it often we do it once a year so it really has it's really meaningful And it would be a rite of passage. So every guy would have to pay their own way. (laughs) That's right. They're going to have to man up, if you know what I mean. Be a man, pay your own way. And in year one, uh, so I had one son-in-law. We started this in January 2016. I had one son-in-law and another one of my girls was dating. And I informed this guy that was dating my daughter that he was not allowed to come. I thought that would be a little incentive. (laughs) So, uh, I gotta tell you that the the restaurant was called Oru, O-R-U, and uh, the food is meticulous, it's presented with beauty, Uh, they've got fresh fruit that doesn't look like fruit, it looks like something out of this world, they got yogurts, they got nuts, they got all kinds of different cheeses, can you tell I'm excited about this? They will make your omelet the way you want it made, and there's the chefs in the white hats and the white outfit. You know, this is like, this is no McDonald's breakfast, no slam on McDonald's, but I mean, it's just amazing. (laughs) They'll make you a, oh, oh. (laughs) They will make you an egg Benedict, like, you know, an egg Benny with salmon and avocado and a hollandaise sauce, freshly made right there just for you the way you want it. And then, you know, and then they have foods that aren't even breakfast foods. Like, they'll have Korean foods, and I think they even had sushi. And then they've got French pastries after that, and they'll make you the latte you want. Like, this is just out-of-this-world experience. Fast forward to last summer. The incentive worked. And I have a second son-in-law. And in the months leading up to January of 2017, I'm telling you, not more than once, there's a conversation about this upcoming rite of passage and how exciting and wonderful that's gonna be. But you know how it was this winter. People got sick a lot and... So we couldn't, ha- we couldn't make it happen in January. We had to postpone so that the new son-in-law wouldn't be just dis- twice, if you know what I mean, because he wouldn't have been able to come. So we were going to have to wait, but we waited with great anticipation of the upcoming oru tradition. So we wait, and it's a couple of months, and then we dive our schedules, and it, the date is set for the weekend is coming upon us Friday, Uh, March 17th, we are going for breakfast. Thursday night, March 16th, 11.11 p.m., what I call Oru Eve, (laughs) I received this text, and I hope you can read it. This text. (laughs) There we go. Thank you for visiting Oru Cuisine. We are now closed. No, it was not funny. I was deflated. But then I thought, oh, my son-in-law, the prankster. Oh, this fake news. You do not have me. But I Googled, and alas, it was true. So... The next morning, we're calling each other, texting each other, what should we do? Well, I will come into Vancouver anyways. I pick up one son-in-law, we get to uh, more of the downtown Vancouver area, what shall we do? I think there was even a brief, and le- a very brief discussion. We could go to the 299 dollars breakfast at Bonds with Malmac cups, so you get the idea what that would be like. <laughs> Um, we could go to this other restaurant, downtown Vancouver, for breakfast, but it's not a buffet. I mean, it's a good place, but it's not a buffet. So we, we, we had searched a bit, and we decided we are going to drive all the way across town from Vancouver over to uh, Richmond by the airport, where there is a sister hotel that also has a breakfast buffet, because we want the best, And we know that we'll be driving by all kinds of breakfast places and we will say no to those places and we will make a great effort to get to the place, but we want that which is the best. And let me tell you, it was well worth the effort. Rich food. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So God gives us an invitation. He's inviting us into an experience that is beyond us and the invitation comes from a person who is beyond us. If you've been tracking with us at all in this um, series in Isaiah, we have, we have seen how Isaiah paints this portrait of God's greatness and his, his power and his majesty and, and his, the, the, the overwhelming greatness of who he is. It's like he holds the, the universe in the span of his hand. He's called the stars into existence and he knows them by name. And yet still in his greatness, Isaiah tells us now, we have this invitation from him. Come to me. This all-powerful, great God, holy God, Lord of hosts, invites not only Israel, who this was originally written to, but in writing to them, he writes to all peoples. He says, anyone and everyone, Who thirsts? Come. Even you who have no money, come, buy and eat. We could never afford what we are being invited into. It is too beyond us. We should be so excited about this invitation. We should be pinching ourselves. But, like the trek across the city in order to experience what God has for us to experience. There will be an ongoing trek to get there. And we will have to say no to other things in order to experience the best that God has designed for us. As he invites us, he is saying, I choose you. Now choose me. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Obviously, this is a metaphor for life. And we know that we do hunger and we do thirst. Erwin McManus, who wrote a book called Soul Cravings, he, he describes his search at one point in his life, and he says this. My soul, it seems, always desires and demands, and no matter how I try to satisfy it, it always craves more. No, not more, but something I can't even seem to understand. My soul craves, but for what, I don't know. And there I tell you is at least half my problem. I've tried so many things and done so many things, certain they would satisfy my soul, but they never did. Most of the time, it was worse than leaving me empty. Not only did I find myself unsatisfied, but the crater-like vacuum inside me was now deeper than it was before. C.S. Lewis said, we are creatures of desires. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. God's world. And he's inviting us into it. Incline your ear to me, he says. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isaiah is saying to enter into a relationship with God that he invites us into is to find at last satisfaction for our soul, our souls will live. Sometimes when people speak about God, they talk about all the things that God could possibly give you, how he could bless you materially. And God can do that, but it means nothing if our soul is not satisfied. If, as we sang this morning here in the worship sanctuary, if we're breathing but we're not alive, All the riches in this world will just cause us to still crave. You can be the best in your field and still crave. So hear this invitation and the promise that your soul will live. He is a God who gives life. Now about now, you may be thinking in your head and maybe even a little bit impatient. Well, what about Easter I thought this was Resurrection Sunday. It's coming. We'll understand the depth of this first promise that Isaiah has spoken here in this chapter as we see how God gives another one. Verse 3 again. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So covenant is not a word we really use in normal conversation. It's not what you're going to hear around a coffee table as you're having a discussion. Covenant is different, a different kind of relationship. It's not, well, let's see how things work out, and then you know, we'll, we'll decide if we want to keep this relationship going. Covenant speaks of giving your, yourself wholly as a person to this relationship. And in this case, it is totally lopsided. Usually when we think about our relationship with God, we think, well, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. You know, I've gotta please him by by functioning this way and being perfect and all that, but there's no work you could do to be worthy of a relationship with God and to enter into covenant with him. No matter how you stack it up, wouldn't it be so insignificant in light of what God can bring to a relationship with us? So imagine you're sitting down with God, and you're you're going to talk about how you're going to enter into covenant. So you're gonna you're gonna share with Him what you can bring to that relationship, and then have Him share what He can bring to that relationship. So let's just start with real estate, okay? And I come into this conversation with God, and here's what I'm going to bring. Um, I have this corner lot in Vancouver. Well, it's not actually Vancouver, it's Abbotsford, but it sounds better if it's in Vancouver. <laughs> I have this corner lot in Vancouver, and it's, 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 it's a fairly sizable lot. God, what do you own? What is yours? Ah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's not really equitable, is it? How about skill sets? I mean, pfft, I, some of you guys know I don't make things, I don't fix things, I'm not very well at that. But I do have a master's degree and my kids tell me I'm smart. That's got to count for something. I think about, oh God, you created this. You made this. Wow. The wisdom you have. You know that DNA thing? Oh, that's pretty incredible. Wow. Gravity. How did you do that? These massive planets like Earth spinning at super speeds and we're not flung off this circle, ha! Huh. That's amazing, yeah. That's a little better than what I can do. <laughs> not very impressive, am I? God says, I will make, I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. He initiates. Is there anybody here grateful for that? He initiates. Yeah, this is an amazing God. And he so desires to enter into relationship as we read the story of God from the the beginning of the Old Testament Genesis and as we read it through to to the end of the New Testament, we see a God who constantly wants to enter into relationship with people and is initiating covenant with them, commitment with them. He's saying, I want to be committed to you. So he makes covenant covenant. He makes covenant with Noah. He makes covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He makes covenant with the people of Israel as led by Moses. And then there's a covenant with David. God set his love on David and made these outlandish, inconceivable promises to David that one of his sons would sit on his throne forever and God would bless him and cause him to flourish. And David did prosper and he did flourish and he conquered lands and extended his territory Verse four, Isaiah writes, I made him, speaking of David, a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. And as a leader of the people, the promises given to David flowed through to the people that he was leading. And here we are, generations later, God says to Israel, now, a people who have forsaken the covenant, A people who have not stayed committed to God. A people who have forsaken God and he says to them, though you are faithless, I'm inviting you again to commit myself to you like I did to David. You need to see this. For the original listener, for for the people of Israel, for those whose lineage was from David, like this promise does not get any better. So whatever your best dream of your life could be here this moment. This is like the best possible dream life you could think of. That's what it was to them, and so it is to you. And Easter tells us, it is bigger and better than they and probably you and I would have imagined. So there's still that voice in your head going, excuse me, Mr. Klassen, can we talk about Easter sometime? Isn't this Resurrection Sunday? When are we going to talk about Easter? Actually, we have been. It's just that we maybe didn't recognize it. Take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 13. You know, the best movies, the best stories that you read, there's usually some plot twists and turns, and there's often deeper layers than you first get the first time you read through it. And you watch it again or read it again, and you go, wow, this is amazing. They thought of this, and this scene connects with that. I never saw that before. So they say, like, the movie Dark Knight, was, it was not just a comic book hero story. It was actually a, a foil for the story of George Bush. So there you go. Explore that someday. <laughs> the, the fulfillment of what Isaiah wrote eight centuries before Jesus has a layer so big, it's part of an elaborate plan of God, a plan that would take nothing less than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter. Centuries later, after Isaiah has penned these words about a covenant, as God gave to David, Jesus Christ shows up on earth, and the Gospels, the writers, they tell us he is God's son, they describe, and how he lives this amazing life and taught amazing things, wisdom that people have never heard before. He touches people's lives. He prays for people, they're healed. He casts out demons. And then he is apprehended. See, there's some that don't like him. They're threatened by him, and his critics falsely accuse him. They conduct a mock trial, and as we saw two days ago on Good Friday, just as Isaiah predicted, while people are passing judgment on Jesus, Jesus is actually laying down his life for them. It's unthinkable, and it's unpayable. What a plot twist. And what a plot twist, because on this day that we remember on this day that we celebrate, what looked like a dead end street, what looked like a complete loss, what looked like a complete defeat, is really the ultimate victory. And Jesus Christ rises from the dead. Whoa. And the depths and layers of what he's accomplished through that resurrection, are amazing. We're gonna look at just one this morning. You see, for Israel, God's people could never keep their side of the covenant. So Jesus steps in and fulfills the covenant-keeping obligations of Israel. He does for Israel what they could not do themselves. And as their representative, and the representative of all mankind, God makes a covenant through him, So that this covenant can never be destroyed. It can never be annulled or or ripped up because of what human beings have done. Because a perfect human being, Jesus Christ, has fulfilled that covenant. And it will abide eternally. Jesus rising from the dead proves that his life, death, and resurrection were acceptable to God the Father and that now the blessing of God can flow through Jesus to all who believe in him. Ultimately, Isaiah's words and the writings of the other prophets, the promises to Israel and the promises to David are fulfilled in Jesus. Acts chapter 13. Paul the apostle proclaims this to Jew and Gentile. Verse 32, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, Easter, Easter, As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, Easter, Jesus, resurrection, no more to return to corruption. In other words, Jesus would never die after this. His body would never be be corrupted, decaying. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Where have we heard these words before? These are Isaiah's words, Isaiah 55. And they meant so much more than I'm sure Isaiah had any idea that they could mean a deeper layer, a more significant layer than he probably ever could have imagined as a prophet of God. You can read on in Acts chapter 13 and. And as, as Paul uh, expounds on what he's told them here, he talks to them about the forgiveness they receive because of this resurrected Savior. He talks about the freedom that they will now have because of this resurrected Savior. He talks to them about this life that is theirs because of the resurrected Savior. Behold the generous and undeserved, overflowing grace of God that was once manifested to David, now overflowing in in just unsurmountable ways to us through the person of Jesus Christ referred to as the son of David. We're used to seeing promises broken all the time in our personal relationships with people, In the political realm, when we watch and hear people in office who have power, I won't list names, and won't list items, but I'm sure you can think of a few. We're we're used to promises being broken. God never breaks a promise. His promises are always kept, his track record is perfect, and the magnificence and artistry of his faithfulness, I believe, is showcased in Easter as in nowhere else through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, the wisdom of God, and the magnitude of his faithfulness. From David, to Jesus, to you. As Paul preached this in Acts chapter 13 going forward, it talks about how many of the Gentiles believed in verse 48, it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Back to Isaiah 55, verse 5, it says this. Behold, you should call a nation that you do not know. Gentiles. Us. Us. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And that's what God did in Jesus Christ, his son. Rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, glorified in death, resurrection, and ascension. Isaiah's invited us to come to God, for us to look to him alone for satisfaction, for life. And so now in verse six, he urges all of us Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon God's elaborate plan of forgiveness and rescue and redemption and compassion is beyond us. The grace is so extravagant. It's so out of this world that God has to say through Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I know I do things that you, you stand and are amazed, but that's how I function. That's how I operate. That even the wicked I will forgive and have compassion on if they will just turn to me. And Isaiah, as if to reinforce it, as if to know that you've got to be sure of this, he talks about the, the sureness of God's word. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, Paul writes, or, or um, Isaiah writes in verse 10, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word. So shall what I have promised Be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and I shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know, we live here in British Columbia, and sometimes we get tired of the rain. Just sometimes. We had a great winter, didn't we? Don't you love this winter? The rain, the cold, but you know what's beautiful about BC and, and, the, and the, the watering that we get? Things are green here. Like I, I moved at one time from further east from here and you know what, I'll take the rain with the green. God says, you know, just like that rain comes and the snow, it melts, and in springtime, it produces that fruit and all the signs of life, so it will be with my word. There may be a time of waiting, but it is inevitable that my word will be accomplished. My promises will never fail you. They've never failed you in the past. They won't fail you in the present. They won't fail you going forward. So Isaiah has said in verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We live in a time of opportunity. God has invited us, he's declared to us his promises in that invitation, and I believe with all my heart that he will fulfill as he has fulfilled. So what will you do? Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he is near. One of my uh, few shows that I I watch occasionally and enjoy is called The Shark Tank. Uh, I have a sort of a business background, and so this is a This is a show, if you're not familiar with it, where uh, entrepreneurs come and they're presenting their business to uh, these very wealthy and very savvy uh, business people, and they're looking for an investment, they're looking for partnership, that these people will come alongside them with their money and their expertise and help their business go to a completely different level. If the pitch is good, one of the sharks will probably make a sincere offer with good intentions to keep. But sometimes the entrepreneur is looking to get a different deal or will be unsure. And they may pause and hesitate. They might want to call an advisor. And sometimes when they pause and hesitate, the offer, the invitation that was given, becomes no longer. It's taken off the table. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There is a fixed period only known by God while his invitation is open to you. We know for certain, at the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes again, he ascended, but he's coming again. When he comes again, we know that it is over at that point. No one can make, oh, okay, oh, I'll decide for you now, Jesus. We don't know when that day or hour is coming. Secondly, we don't know when the day or hour of our own life is coming to an end. Each day is a gift. We don't know how many days we have ahead of us. There is a time of opportunity. It's the time while you're alive. Now. And then there's something that scares me a little bit more. There's this this time when our hearts can become so hardened that it would be like maybe we never could choose, want God. It does not have to be that way. Isaiah is saying, come. Come to me. Seek me. I am the God who will give you life. And this Easter, he's inviting you, especially if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is inviting you into that relationship. Later this morning, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand and say, God, I want in. For those of us who have been walking with God and, and in this relationship with Jesus that Isaiah has invited us into, I hope you're inspired as I have been that your daily RSVP is to come into his presence often and with delight and with joy, giddy as we, as we joyfully made our way to that buffet, that daily you've got this joy and excitement just to know you can be in God's presence, you can be with him and know him and walk with him. You see, to respond to God's invitation is to surrender, it is to listen, it's to bring yourself under, it is to obey, but I think it is also to delight, to celebrate, to praise, to pinch ourselves. Is this really true? Like how good is this? I'm in a covenant relationship with the creator of this world. And in case you're not this morning, let me tell you one more thing. One more thing. Some of you might be familiar with the name Steve Jobs. He was the co-founder of Apple. And uh, in a documentary on him, they talk about, in his presentations that he made when they brought out products and whatnot, he would often, at the end of his presentation, say, oh, I've got one more thing. And then he'd present this amazing, significant addition to their products that they were presenting. Verse 12 of Isaiah 55. One more thing. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. In Romans chapter eight, it talks about how creation itself was subjected to futility because of man's sin against God. So the work of man's hand was cursed and so was creation. And so there would be weeds, there'd be briars, there'd be thorns, there'd be death. Genesis three talks about that. But look at what God will ultimately do. Creation is not groaning. As Roman takes about, Roman eight talks about where creation is groaning for that future day. When the revealing of God's sons, his children, know what we see Picture a picture here in creation is that it is celebrating. The trees of the fields are clapping their hands. And the mountains break out and singing. You see what's gonna happen? And God's great, elaborate plan of salvation that flows through Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, not only are we redeemed as his people, but there is going to be a new heaven and new earth as the end of the book, Revelations chapter 21 talks about. There's gonna be a new heaven, a new earth, and creation will sing, once again, just one more thing of the significance, the layer of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole earth will be affected. And so we read in Revelation chapter 22, the very last book in the Bible, the last chapter in the Bible. Do these words sound familiar to you at all? I, Jesus, verse 16, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come. God's invitation continues to us till the end of this age when all things will be redeemed and renewed. Because of the life, death, and resurrection, we are offered life today and the life in the future that is so beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine, but God has prepared it for us, and as he's prophesied it here through Isaiah, he will will accomplish his word. This is the story we're on. Is this exciting? Do you know your future? Do you know you're going to get a resurrected body, a new body? One day you'll be with Jesus. There'll be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. And you will abide with him, with brothers and sisters who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And you will live forever in the eternal covenant in a new heaven and new earth. Because of what Jesus Christ did on this day, today, that we celebrate. Would you stand with me and let's worship our Lord and Savior.